There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In the middle of the night is when evil tends to wake. The shadows of alleyways, dimly lit parks, and back roads leading to the middle of nowhere are all the perfect place for the unthinkable to happen at any minute. However, it isn't too far-fetched to think that while laying in bed, you may just have that same evil looming over you as you sleep. The Axeman of New Orleans was vicious and evil, many saying he was more demon than man. But one thing we do know is while his victims were sleeping is when he would creep in, lift an axe over his head, and strike. My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. Warning. The following podcast contains graphic content and material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. good that was excellent but can it i mean was that me or was that nicole because <laughs> this one could be nicole oh that one was a little better it was quicker it wasn't better i'm getting better you're doing good you're doing really good but like that literally hurts my finger so i don't know if i'm an abnormal abnormal in that sense but you do have dainty hands apparently i will give you that apparently apparently How's it going out there with uh, with everyone in the world? What's happening? What's shaking? We're sitting here. We just had our anniversary yesterday, our marriage anniversary. Yeah, 13 years. 13 Cheers. Awesome years. Went to the lake. We chilled. We were supposed to go mountain biking too, but we didn't. We just did the lake. Nicole went paddleboarding, to, took the dogs, mm-hmm. saw a bear. That was fun. Yeah, across the way. Um, yeah, we wanted to do mountain biking too, but we can't really take the doggos anymore with that because honey, bunny. Yeah, our dog honey. honey. You should explain who <laughs> our honey dog honey. Um, she's a bolter, so yeah, she likes to run. So she is a leash dog, mm-hmm. and uh, Ripley will be the mountain bike dog because she's really good with that. Yeah, but yeah, we had a good day yesterday. It was nice, and today we've got forest fires all around us in BC. So we that's it's very not cool. smoky, and it's very early for this to be happening. I feel like it is. So it's kind of scary. There's been uh, some some towns and cities who are on like evacuation notice. Others actually being evacuated, which is absolutely terrible. Um, for those people who aren't aware, British Columbia is definitely a hub for this sort of thing in the summer. It's mm-hmm. kind of a normal, which is unfortunate. At this well, point. Alberta, I think, is is facing it even worse than us. They're yeah. the province right next to us. Yeah, so. they've, they've got it really bad right now, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not just BC, but I'm just like the, the BC area because you go down south a little bit into like Washington, California, and over in Alberta. BC just seems to be like that that hub. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, but generally, yeah. it's more July, August that... This is more of a worrisome, so. Yeah, this early is concerning. Yeah, and but. the mosquitoes have now uh, now come through, so we can no longer enjoy the outdoors. But we can enjoy a drink and sit <laughs> here and talk about true crimes. Yeah, it's just at our house, I find that they're the worst. So if you go, I mean, mountain biking, you're kind of always moving, so it's not as big of a deal. And then on the lake, I don't find them bad when I'm paddleboarding. And in the city, they're not really that bad either. So mm-hmm. there's ways to get around it. Touche, touche. Um, I do want to let everyone know that the case today is an unsolved one. It is a very, very well-known case. It is the Axeman of New Orleans. Um, We are going to do a little bit of a post-show today where we're talking a bit more in depth on some of the theories. At the end, we are going to kind of go into some of the theories here, but we're going to go do a little post-show. We're going to kind of talk more of our opinions and that sort of stuff on them. So if you want to check it out, you can head over to Patreon. Descriptions, you know, down below. You can go find the link right there. Um, And speaking of Patreon, we got to thank our 
patrons who signed up this week. We do have some to thank. So first and foremost, we had Laura Firth, Chelsea Hayes, Rachel McCormick, and I'm pretty sure this person made their name Lucifer. It's L-U-S-J-I-F-E-R. Okay. I think that's what they're going for. Okay. Uh, we also had Samantha, Chastity Prowers, um, Brooklyn Johnson, and I'm pretty sure this person is also doing a nickname. It is a very interesting one. It's Fecal Falcon mm. um, and Anthony Peters. Um, and then in the last 24 hours, Melissa and Sabrina Reed also joined up. Holy so, heck. Okay. That's a list you. and a half. It is. Thank you. Thank you to all you guys. Um, also to Fecal Falcon, if that is your real name, I apologize. Um, I just caught me off guard fecal. yeah yeah <laughs> i have a feeling you just wanted to say fecal falcon on our podcast yeah now you've said it like three times but hey you never know you <laughs> never know nowadays that's true that's true so, either way thank yeah. you so much that's yeah, we, awesome we appreciate the support and uh, we'll see you guys over after the show for the little uh post show podcast that we're Look putting that. over there you took my good idea and you're doing it again well yeah it was, that was an amazing idea it was a good idea well we do pre-shows mm -hmm. post shows are where it's at though post shows post shows pre-shows they're both pretty dope yeah they are actually i don't know i really enjoy those they're both good yeah okay so you ready for this one i am ready i am not because i gotta line up my phone here i'm actually reading off my phone today with our uh our scripts that we go with because our podcasting laptop has decided to have a major error and it is stuck in a loop so i'm reading off my phone i honestly think it's kicked the bucket it's pretty old it, we'll see how it does. I think we might uh, just go get it taken a look at. And if it doesn't uh, spring back to life, yeah, we can just go get another. Yeah. We can write it off at the podcast, right? There you go. There we go. Write it off. Yep. <laughs> just like our alcohol. Just like the alcohol. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start off. The Axeman of New Orleans. Basically a real life boogeyman scenario. For over a year, from 1918 to 1999, he terrorized the city of New Orleans in the night as citizens slept peacefully in their beds. Now, in their beds is the exact place where he would strike. He's not just kind of looming as they're sleeping. No, I'm talking literally in their beds. His victims would be sound asleep before they'd be woken up to this looming figure standing tall over them, wielding an axe over his head. That is horrible. Yeah. That is a nightmare, like worse than a nightmare. Like I mean... He's a literal boogeyman. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of terrifying. Holy shit. So some stories tell of a large man who crept in at night, but others say he wasn't really a man at all, but something more sinister and supernatural, which oh. we'll kind of touch on throughout this and discuss at the end. Okay. Now, like I said, it's an unsolved case. So we will leave it to you to, to decide if he is something more supernatural or what. So the very first person, who would fall victim to the axe man was an Italian grocer named Joseph Maggio, his wife, Catherine, as well. Now, the attack took place on May 23rd in 1918 as the two of them lay asleep in their beds at 4901 Magnolia Street. Their apartment was located above the grocery store in which Joseph worked. As they slept, they had no idea that the man, soon to be known as the axe man, was creeping closer and closer to them. As he approached their bedside, he stood and swung the axe over his head and rained down his vicious strikes on Joseph and Catherine. Oh, that is some wild shit. That is unbelievable. That's yeah. like, I think, one of the worst ways to possibly die. Well, to top it all off, to ensure he finished the job, he took a straight razor and cut <gasps> both of their throats. Now, okay. I do want to clarify, the order is actually not confirmed. Um, he may have cut their throats first to ensure that they were quiet. And then when they were bleeding out, he finished them with the axe. But either way, it would have been a very bloody and mm -hmm. very horrific way to go. Well, yeah, even for the first responders to come and see that, like that would be, I couldn't even imagine the scene that that would be. Yeah, it's... Wow. Um, it's gruesome, as far as I can tell, and it's a uh, ongoing theme. Cool. Yes. So this dude almost seems like he like liked blood or something. I've got a, I've got something I want to touch on, but again, I, it's too early for me to say okay. much yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he liked blood, but there is something that I think a lot of people glaze over that I, I kind of picked up, and I really do think he likes a certain aspect here. 
And something I need to touch on, because I need to get this off my chest, is prior to the show, we were talking about this axe guy, like, in the bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, like, it makes me feel better that he wouldn't be able to do this in our house, because, like, you can't stand up in our bedroom because it's yeah. a loft. Yeah, we have a loft, tiny home, right? So. And then Ben was like, yeah, but instead you'd have this, like, creepy guy crawling towards you with an axe. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's worse. Yep. Because you can sit up in our bedroom loft, but you cannot stand. So you just have this dude oh. crawling towards you instead. So that I don't know. I mean, it's just all terrible. This is terrible. Oh, anyone coming towards you in the middle of the night as you lay in your Ugh, bed. With where you think axe, you're safe. That's just not cool. Yeah, that's brutal. Because I mean, waking up, like even a, waking up to a sound is so alarming. But just imagine that you wake up and there's literally somebody standing over top of you. That is just, no. You'd have me to protect you. Yeah. And the dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. I'd be fine. Well, there was that situation where I was ready to fight that one time, remember? Mm-hmm. So. You love this. And I love you have story. literally have said this numerous times on this podcast, too. Yeah, but not everyone has probably heard every episode. <laughs> never probably heard it. So I'm going to tell it again because I think it's hilarious. So living in one of our old houses, um, Nicole was going to work. I was on graveyard shift, so I was still sleeping. And she's going to work in the morning and sets the alarm off on our house so the house alarm is just going yeah bonkers. accidentally i can't remember how i did it but i did it i've been asleep for maybe like two hours two three hours at this point i jolt up out of bed i'm wearing my underwear and i bolt downstairs and i am completely zonked out of it <laughs> don't know what's going on but i am ready to fight whoever the fuck is coming through that front door <laughs> it was quite a sight i was pretty sure i was just like holy fuck calm down like i just act i think because yeah when you set the the alarm and then if you open the back door it went off and i think that's what happened right because you let the dog out periodically um <laughs> you were just like guns ablaze and it was just like i was gonna fuck someone's day up okay go back to work or <laughs> go back to bed i'm going to work <laughs> yeah anyways we digress uh so back to this the first encounter actually occurred he actually had his two first victims now he would leave them there in the middle of the night of course and it would be in the morning around 4.30 a.m. when their bodies would be discovered. And it was approximately two hours after the attack had occurred. So the estimation attack was around 2.30 a.m. So at 4.30 a.m., Joseph's brothers, who I can't clarify if they lived with them or in an adjoining building or neighbor somehow. Okay. But the Joseph Joseph's brothers would be the ones to discover them. Both of them, when found, were, of course, in very bad condition yeah many brutal wounds on their bodies especially their head Jeez. Catherine specifically had almost been completely decapitated in the attack oh joseph on the other hand was reportedly still alive what but barely so his brothers found him she was deceased he was clinging to life how so they called the ambulance and before the ambulance and police Police had actually arrived at the scene. He had passed away. Oh, that's too bad. I was like, what a survivor story if he made it through that. Holy. Well, he did cling to life for two hours. Yeah, still. which so is that's, incredible. It is. Police, of course, beginning the investigation right then and there upon arrival, they discovered some things pretty much right away. It didn't take them long to find some significant evidence. First thing they found was a small lower panel on the door had been broken or a term I saw lots in many articles, chiseled out, is okay. how they said it. I don't know if I understand why it'd be chiseled out specifically. And that's how he broke in. Yeah. So he would like take out this panel, chiseled out, break out. However, he'd take this panel out on the lower door and he would make his way in and gain entry that way. Okay. So it's not that these people were leaving their doors unlocked. No. He's finding another way. Yes. Now, they also found a pile of blood-soaked clothes laying in the home where the murderer just got dressed in some other clothes and laid his dirty, bloody, soaked clothes just laying there before oh, he wow. left. wow. That seems like a new thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he basically, yeah, changed, left, didn't really care. And then outside the home, they found the bloodied axe and a couple doors down, a bloodied straight razor as well. Really? So he's just ditching everything then? Yeah, without a care in the world. Huh. Both of which, the axe and the straight razor, mind you, belonged to the home, which meant he did not bring weapons at all. He came to the house, found his weapons of choice, then attacked. Really? Yes. 
Okay, because I was kind of like thinking that the axe would start being like his trademark and like he'd use the same axe and all this jazz, but apparently not. No. You just show up and find your weapon seems. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there is a little caveat I want to put in here. The straight razor reportedly had actually belonged to one of his brothers, the one of the two that had found him. Okay. And those two were initially the the first suspects in the case. Oh. They were ruled out pretty quickly. Um, the brother actually had owned a barber shop and he owned many razors and most likely um, he got it from his brother who owned the barber shop. Was just kind of like borrowing it or something. Yeah. So, I mean, you can argue, yeah, he owned the razor initially because... But it's like, yeah, he owned a barbershop. He owns many fucking razors and probably sold or gave a lot away. So Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But the big thing was the careless manner in which everything was kind of left. It left a lot of people baffled. Like the police were like, why did he just leave the pile of clothes? Why did he just leave the murder weapons? Like it doesn't really make much sense. He didn't cover his trail at all. Didn't even attempt. But I also feel like back then, because didn't you say this was like 1918 or something? They didn't have to really worry about that they didn't have well, the technology to necessarily like use those things to their advantage around this time like fingerprinting was a thing it just wasn't very it was pretty new wasn't very okay. wasn't used very often okay so i mean he's clearly going to be leaving a bloody fingerprint on these weapons and stuff yeah but does gives two shits yeah he was in my opinion almost like he's mocking the police yeah it makes it worse yeah Um, police were also able to rule out a robbery as there was nothing missing and there was valuables left in plain sight, but absolutely nothing was taken. Investigators immediately questioned, of course, several people, the brothers being prime suspects, um, but all were released due to lack of evidence. Hmm. Interesting. So it would be just a little more than a month later that another couple would be attacked. In the early mornings on June 27th, 1918, a baker named John Zonka was making early morning deliveries when he discovered Louis Bessmer and Harriet Lowe. Now, both were viciously attacked in the same manner as the two previous in the last month. But it was not a whole lot different, really, when you're looking at it. They were asleep in their bed. A panel was broken on the back door for someone to gain entry. And they were found in pools of their own blood in bed. Both were viciously attacked in the same manner as the two in the previous month. They were asleep in their bed. A panel was broken on the back door where, of course, the individual gained entry. And they were found in pools of their own blood. And an axe, which had belonged to Louis, was found covered in blood left in the bathroom. Sorry, you got something to say? Okay, I just have two things to say. One, that's scary as shit because at that point, like, you then have a serial fucking killer on your hands. A serial fucking killer. (laughs) Really, right? Yeah. Like, that's four people now. And also, I feel like it's almost, I was going to say ruder. That might not be the best word. But to use, like, the the person's own axe to kill them, I feel like is almost. It's like salt in the wound. Kind of, It's yeah. just that little extra, like, fuck you almost. Yeah, it's it makes it a bit more disturbing. It does. And in which he's just discarding it and not caring. How does he know he goes to these, like, I don't know where our axe is. How does he just know that he's going to, like, find an axe at these people's house? Well, you would have known where the axe was if you let, let me hang it on the oh, antlers. I think gosh. we talked about that on Patreon. That was but. a Patreon thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, there is one different thing that happened with this, though. This time, however, when they were found, both of them were still alive. Oh. Yes. And they quickly received medical attention. Louis would survive, but Harriet, however, made it a total of seven weeks in and out of surgeries and medical attention before she succumbed to her injuries. Shit. Okay. So he's almost, okay, I take that as like he's almost getting more confident and he's like, yeah, of course these people are like dead and just like doesn't stay to make sure and finish the job kind of thing uh keep that in mind okay 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 um there is another small twist to this so the first twist being that okay this time they're alive the second time um harriet before she passed away being questioned by police and everything she accused louis of being the attacker like her husband uh, they weren't married but yes him the, her counterpart really yes 
So he would actually be charged with murder and he would serve nine total months in prison, but it would eventually be acquitted on May 1st, 1919 later on. Okay. Um, it would be only take a 10 minute jury deliberation. And there was just simply no evidence that he was one to do it. Not to mention that he would have actually literally had to turn the ax on himself oh, yeah. to try and get away with it and then go plant it and also have knowledge of the other case. Yeah. Cause I feel like to, Turn the axe on yourself to like wound yourself. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you could go about doing that. Yeah. And it also didn't help that the axe man's killings would continue while Lewis was in custody or Louis was in custody. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So on August 5th, 1918, the third attack was made. Miss Edward Schneider was eight months pregnant at the time oh. and laying asleep in her bed. Jeez. It would be shortly after midnight that she was discovered by her husband, Ed Schneider, who was returning home late from work. Her scalp had been sliced, or I think a better word actually would be split open. Her teeth were knocked out and her face was completely covered in blood. So much so that Ed at the time could barely identify her injuries because there was so much blood and swelling just everywhere. Holy. To do that to like someone who's pregnant? Right. So I'm assuming that, did they both die? Well, luckily for her, like some others before her, she, she lived. was able to survive the attack. Wow. What a superhero. That's insane. And her baby lived too? And she even gave birth oh. to a premature, but otherwise completely healthy baby girl just two days later. Holy. Okay. That is a survivor story and a half. Right? Like, holy fuck. Yeah. So what were you saying in the last one with him just getting overconfident almost, you think? Yeah, like he's just kind of like thinking he knows how to kill people and he has to do this and then he just leaves and they're they're good. Okay. Do you they're still done. do you still think that? No. No? What do you think? Oh, I know? actually still think that. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I was uh, um but then he would have had to know the one stayed alive though, actually, now that I'm thinking about this, when he went to attack this other lady, right? He would have known. Oh, so what is he? Just a complete piece of shit? <laughs> well, that for sure. Like, is he wanting them to stay alive? Ew. Okay, so... Well, I don't know. I mean, that's good to stay alive, but like, what? I was going to wait before I brought this up, but since we're kind of on the topic already, because you kind of started going the direction, you're just going the opposite direction of me. I think he's not caring if they survive or die. He's just attacking them, beating them with an axe... And leaving them be. And if they survive, they survive. If they die, they die. And it's like survival of the fittest or something. That's what I think. I think there is some sort of, it's not a murder spree he's on. He's on an attack spree, which I think is a very different thing. Because I think it could paint different motives. It, to me, it doesn't paint revenge. You know what I mean? It doesn't mm -hmm. paint, I want this person to die or this type of person. I think it paints almost like, a threat taking an extra step. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, because most serial killers, it seems like they get off by like the killing portion. Like yeah. they're taking a life. Yeah. But he just doesn't really give a shit. Exactly. It's almost interesting. It's almost like he's fulfilling something owed or something, you know? It's like you did something to me or something along those lines. So I'm going to pay it back to you. And if you die in the process, so be it. But I'm just going to make sure dues are paid. That's what I feel like is happening here. Because even in the first one, <clears throat> the man didn't die right away, right? Wasn't it like two hours? Yes. But the so, woman's head was almost completely decapitated. Hmm. And then if this woman survived, so then I was like, oh, okay, maybe he has something more so against the women, but then not necessarily either. So. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, she, however, like I said, did survive and she did give birth to a healthy baby girl, but she did tell police she didn't remember much of anything from the attack, but she did remember seeing a large dark figure standing over her just before she was bashed in the face repeatedly with, of course, an axe. Their own axe? Yes. Gosh, way to regret a purchase, eh? I know, right? So just five days later, yet another attack would occur. An 80-year-old man named Joseph Romano was attacked on August 10th. Now, Joseph lived with his two nieces, and they both woke up to a commotion in their uncle's bedroom. 
The two girls, Pauline and Mary, entered their uncle's room to find him slumped over on the floor in a pool of his own blood. And the two girls had also allegedly even seen the attacker fleeing the scene. Hmm. So they did provide a brief description of what they saw. And I quote, a dark skinned, heavy set man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. Hmm. You have to even wonder, did he know that the house had anyone else in it? You know, like, is he just like really gives zero shits or is he like, has he done his research or has he known that those two girls were there, but like he didn't consider them a threat? That's the thing with this. We don't know any of these there's so much up for debate in this case. Hmm. And it does kind of seem like he's dressing the part, too, of this, like, evil kind of spirit thing, right? <laughs> we'll get into the ev- evil spirit thing here in a bit, That's too. just what comes to mind. Yeah. I don't know. No, because, I mean, if you think of, like, like Men in Black, for example, mm-hmm. like the Men in Black are these figures. We don't know if they're government or if they're paranormal or supernatural. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they dress in these dark suits, dark hats, sunglasses, almost like they're trying to hide the identity of what they could truly be. Mm -hmm. So it's possible. Mm. So despite all of his injuries, though, Joseph was, and mind you, he is 80 years old, able to stand up and walk through his house and meet the ambulance once they arrived outside. However, he would succumb to his injuries and die two days later. Dang. All these like... People that are so close to surviving and then days later or weeks later as in the one, like, oh, yeah. that's sad. And uh, just like other cases as well, a bloody axe was found at the scene and a panel on the door was removed to gain access. Hmm. So the axe man by this point had the city of New Orleans in utter fear. Police were receiving countless reports from citizens claiming to have seen what they assumed to be the axe man looking around at night. Some were beginning to carry guns and others stayed up all night watching over their families, taking shifts. Police had individuals on corners taking patrols. Like everyone was on absolute high alert looking yeah. out for this fucking axe man. Just terror. Because yeah, even like locking your doors and stuff, like he was still this had a yeah. way of getting in. Locking oh. your doors Gosh. wasn't enough. So there would literally be people sitting up in a chair with a shotgun in their hand as their family slept and they're waiting just mm. in case the ax men came into their house in their bedroom at night. That's quite a visual, hey? Isn't it? Wow. So the people were absolutely afraid and rightfully so. But for some reason, just as quickly as the killings began, they suddenly stopped. A sense of calm began to creep back into people's lives and days passed and days passed And the thought of the axe man began to slowly fade out of daily conversations. It was almost normal again in New Orleans. That's what he wanted. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think. Seven months later. Yep, there you go. Boom. On March 10th, 1919, the Axeman would strike again. It would be Charles Cortemiliega. I think I said that name right. I really hope I did. good. Thank you. Who was a grocer, which was becoming a theme with most of the victims at this point. In fact, there was a couple that I didn't mention already because I didn't want you to catch on to the fact that they were grocers. Really? But almost all of the victims were grocers. Like, what does that mean? They worked in a grocery store? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they, they worked or owned or managed a grocery store sort of thing. Like oh, a little okay. small. And they're all... Pretty much all of them are Italian immigrants as well. Okay. So he did have like a, an MO or a, what's the, a victim type? Yeah. A target, if you yeah. will. An MO. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Charles lived with his wife, Rosie, and their two-year-old daughter, Mary. Now, they weren't exactly in New Orleans per se, though. They were just across the Mississippi River. Regardless of exact location, in the early mornings, it would be a frail 69-year-old man who was the neighbor named Lorando Giordano. 
who heard screams coming from their home. Now, Lerondo rushed across the street as quick as he could over to the house to see what was happening and if he could help in any way. Rosie had apparently woken up to find her husband struggling in a, some sort of like a fight with this large man wielding an ax in their bedroom. However, her husband was unable to overpower the man and was knocked to the ground with an ax blow. Well, they are at a ridiculous disadvantage. They're just literally waking up from being like asleep. Oh, you betcha. (laughs) I don't know how you get your shit together when someone is alert and has an ax, you know? Well, I mean, adrenaline does a lot. I I will say that playing devil's advocate here. But you're just waking up. Yes. And this dude, you're laying down. This dude's standing over you with an ax. So this guy, hella props for him to even attempt to fight. Yeah. I don't care if he didn't win or not. I mean, of course I care that he didn't win because he's now in this situation. But he attempted, he fought, and he did what he could. And that is major props to him. Oh, totally. So Rosie now seeing him knocked to the ground was left laying on the bed and now holding her two-year-old daughter in her arms, begging for them to both be spared. No. But the man was completely unfazed. He raised the ax high in the air, struck them both both once each without a second thought. Wow. So when the neighbor, Lerondo, arrived, Charles was on the ground in a pool of his own blood and Rosie stood in the bedroom doorway bleeding from a severe head wound and her lifeless daughter in Um, her arms. Well, yeah, it wouldn't take much for a two-year-old, hey? It would not. Dang, here I was like, maybe he'll just like leave and walk out, but no. No, with the two-year-old, it's suspected that she would have died almost immediately (sighs) from the strike. Wow. I mean, he already did this to like a lady who was eight months pregnant or whatever. So what do we expect, I guess? Yep. Uh, So they were rushed to the hospital where they were both treated for skull fractures. Both luckily did survive. Uh, However, their two-year-old daughter, as I already mentioned, did not. Charles would be released two days later and Rosie would remain in the hospital care um, before being released a little while longer. Okay. So again, he just attacked and he, if they didn't die, they didn't die Mm -hmm. because he only struck um, Rosie once Mm -hmm. and that was that and he just left. Yeah. He did the same to the daughter as he did to the mom. So. And that is a very big theme. He's not ever necessarily sticking around to ensure the people are dead to ensure he keeps striking more to finish the job he's just doing enough that whatever he needs is fulfilled whether it is a personal pleasure thing or it is like my theory goes some sort of potential debt being paid Hmm. well and especially too if he he's kind of more so attacking people what are you calling them grocers 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 okay i don't think i've heard that term before um those people would definitely have to be more on alert, hey? Like, as if you're Italian and you're, you're a grocer, oh my God, I would be one that was staying up all night too. Like, oh, that's yeah. freaking terrifying. Definitely. So once recovered, Rosie did state that the attack was made by the neighboring Lorando and his 18-year-old son, Frank. Oh, they said who it was? That's what Rosie said. She told the police, it because the neighbor who came over the- Like six, that 69-year-old dude? Yeah, the 16-year- the 69-year-old guy who was a rather frail man and obviously couldn't even lift the axe. He was so frail. Like she he said was, it was him. She said it was him and his 18-year-old son. What the shit? I'm assuming it's probably due to her head injury. Because, I mean, she was just struck in oh, the head. Oh, and then those people axe. came in. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's making sense. Um, so uh, yeah, Lerondo could not have committed the crime. He was way too old and frail, not necessarily old, but he was definitely a frail man. Uh, and his son, Frank was, I believe he's around 200 pounds and six foot. And there was absolutely no way he was going to fit through the broken panel that was found on their door. Oh, okay. So yeah. So once again, New Orleans was suddenly filled with terror with the prospect of the ax man striking again and still wandering the streets at night. Clearly, their nightmare wasn't over as everyone had kind of previously thought. Mm -hmm. So the police believed all of the crimes to have been committed by the same man. And to quote them, a bloodthirsty maniac filled with a passion for human slaughter. But I kind of disagree. I don't think it's a passion for human slaughter. Because if it was a passion for human slaughter, they'd keep going, in my opinion. Right. They would just like keep, keep it 
I don't know how to even word. I was just like, you keep with the axe. Like until yeah. there was literally just like blood everywhere. Yeah. And people were definitely deceased. Yeah. He would be going until he was sure they were dead, potentially dismembering, maiming further. He's just striking and leaving, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe there's some other motive. Yeah. There has to be. Yeah. Cause if they, if he was attacking for like, how do they word it again? Sorry. Blood. Uh, bloodthirsty maniac filled with a passion for human slaughter. Yeah. Then I think the attacks would, I mean, not that they're not bad, but they'd be almost worse. Way yeah. worse. Don't get me wrong. It is definitely a bloodthirsty maniac with a passion for human slaughter, but I don't think their intent is passion for human slaughter. They just mm-hmm. probably happen to like it and this job coincides and it's like, this is what they're going for. And that's what I specifically believe is a job. A job. That's what I think. Shit. Which leads us into stuff a little later on. But okay. I let that slip, so I'll give you guys that one little little piece for now. Wow. Anyways, it would be then five days after the attack when two-year-old little Mary had lost her life that a new twist came into play with this case. Two-year-old little Mary. A local newspaper had received a very disturbing letter from the alleged Axeman on March 14th, 1919. And the letter, he promised another attack. And he even named the date. Seriously. He did. Whoa, this fucking asshole. So the letter goes as follows. Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds the earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you New Orleans and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis, Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it was better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axemen. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise to know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you New Orleans think of me as most a horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, on next Tuesday night, March 19th, 1919, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition for you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain. And that is that some of your people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my disclosure, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Holy shit. Yeah. 
That's a lot to unpack with that. So basically, he claims to be a demon from like a hell. a higher power of some sort. Um, he claims to be in close personal proximity to the angel of death. And on March 19th, 1919, he promises his attack, but only to those who, for one reason or another, because... Aren't he, playing jazz. Yeah, because he just enjoys jazz. You, you got to play jazz at, at 12, 15 a.m. Otherwise, he's going to attack you. Huh. I wonder if that would make jazz music more popular or less popular in the end. <laughs> Thinking less. You think less? Thinking less. Why do you think less? Well, because everyone's going to be terrified of like, it's it's going to be associated with like one of the most terrifying nights of their life. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, but it's a possibility. I just picture Satan down there in hell just freaking sitting near some smooth jazz, some saxophone in the background. I would literally play, be playing jazz music for the rest of my life every single <laughs> night. Every night. The devil loves jazz. I'm going to play it just to appease him. Yeah. Wow. wow. That is a letter and a half. Like yeah. for this person, like, I mean, this is a human being as far as I'm concerned. Um, for anyone to just write a letter like that, like you got to, I don't know, you got to think that maybe they have some mental illness going on there because that's or they think extremely highly of themselves <sighs> I or guess. they just wanted to fuck with people further like they're really fucking with people oh yeah well march 19th came around and uh everyone in new orleans was listening to jazz playing jazz and for those who didn't have a record player um they were at friend house friends houses or pouring into local dance halls and venues to listen to all sorts of local jazz pat Jazz bands, jazz bands, jazz bands playing live music. Um, they stayed, let time roll around. The city kept playing music when the time came and passed. Well, into the early morning even. And eventually, no reports of an attack occurred that night. Because literally everyone was prepared. Pretty much everyone was listening to jazz. No attacks occurred. There would have to have been someone that wasn't, but okay. Well, sure, but... Good luck finding them. Because there would be other people that were just as confident as this guy and be like, oh, this isn't going to happen to me. Like, fuck this. True. But even put it this way, if 90% of New Orleans is playing jazz, just try and find the person who's not. Even if you are standing on a street saying two houses out of these 20 houses are not playing jazz right now. Good luck figuring out which one it is because they're all pumping. It's like it just I just hear jazz all around me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's true. Because there's like the noise leaks and spreads and you don't know where it's coming from always. So anyways, on August 10th, 1919, another attack would occur. A grocer, once again, by the name of Steve Boca. He was attacked again in his bedroom as he slept. He would wake up in the middle of the night to a dark figure looming over him. And just like others before, an axe quickly came striking oh. down on top of him. And again... An axe he owned. He would wake up a little while later, however, in severe pain with blood everywhere. Conscious, but in rough shape, he would run to the neighbor's house. The neighbor's name was Frank Gensua. Now, here he would collapse and be unconscious at Frank's place. He would survive this attack and recover, but unfortunately, he would not retain a memory of the assault and would not be able to help authorities in their investigation. A month later, on September 2nd, a man named William Carson was attacked by the Axeman. William did, however, manage to fend him off by reportedly firing several shots at the intruder. Wow. Though not officially connected to the string of killings, there was a broken door and an axe left behind at the scene. Okay, so that one's not even certain if it's the Axeman? Not even fully certain, I guess. Okay. Right? Because, I mean, the attack never really technically happened. Mm -hmm. It could have just been a, a robbery. For yeah. We really know, technically. Well, because lots of times there's copycatters too, right? Copycatters? Copycatters. Copycats? Copycats, yeah. So someone just using this as like a, a terror thing and going to rob people and True, stuff, right? right? So you were not fully certain. However, it would be the very next day on September 3rd, 1919, a young girl named Sarah Lauman would become the next official victim. Again, she was asleep in her bed when she was attacked. Neighbors came to check on her and found her unconscious, covered in blood where she lay. A bloody axe was discovered in the front lawn of the building and Sarah would survive and wow. eventually recover. The fact that these people are surviving this is 
unreal to me. Which tells me he's not trying to murder anyone. There's something else at play. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're you if you have this axe and you have these people in this kind of like position, like you're going to be able to kill them if you wanted to. Yeah. So if he, if that was his motive, if he was trying to kill people, he would kill people. Mm-hmm. Sure, early on there might be some survivors, but he would learn he's letting survivors live and he would correct that. Absolutely. And you could correct that pretty easily with an axe. Just saying. That's quite a weapon of choice. Yeah. So nearly two months later, the very last attack would come in. October 27th, 1919. Another grocer by the name of Mike Pepitone was found by his wife. She saw two large men fleeing the scene from where her husband was found. Two? Two. Now, her husband was in the bedroom and had been struck on the head a total of 18 times and was laying in a pool of his own blood. Good God. In a continuing string of similarities, she was also unable to identify the men merely describing them as large figures. Now, even though authorities tried to piece together the murders, they were never really able to come to a full conclusion. There were some arrests, some suspects, but none ever led to anything of any sort of subst- of any sort of um, substantial results. Which may which means this case, as I mentioned earlier, is unsolved. The Axemen of New Orleans will likely remain a mystery for Who knows how long, if indefinite. Now, that being said, there are theories. Mm -hmm. Well, because I also just have to say at this point that that individual, I'm sure, is not alive anymore. No. Right? So you do see old cases getting solved sometimes, but that's quite a bit of time. Yeah, there there would be no no one involved in this case that is still alive today. Mm. Um, The only way we would be able to solve it is with physical evidence right is if we had say a bloody axe with fingerprints on it and matching fingerprints from someone already in a system exactly that's the only way yeah because you're and i don't know if they would have even kept all those stuff right yeah they still have them or not yeah or i mean there i mean there's other ways it's just an example of that only way Mm -hmm. there's there could be confessions in a diary and you know oh yeah that sort of stuff that goes on but uh yeah primarily it's like eh, it's left to that Um, So some of the theories we do have to cover are a spy theory. A spy theory. A spy theory. Now, I do want to note these theories don't generally ever cover the whole thing, but cover portions of them. So the spy theory, um, we know Louis Bessmer, who was one of the victims on this list. Um, In fact, he was the one where his significant other accused him of being the attacker. Okay, yeah. Um, so Harriet had accused him of being the attacker with the hatchet, but he was, you know, acquitted of all charges. And she had passed, right? Did she, was she one that had passed away or no? Yes. She had passed away, I believe, seven weeks later. Okay. Yeah. Now, just because he is acquitted of the charges doesn't mean his uninvolvement is absolute, at least so this theory states. Now, investigators, once actually investigating him and he was in custody, had found that he had written letters both in Yiddish and Russian, leading them to the conclusion that he was part of a German spy ring. So whoever had attacked them, the theory goes, is actually not the Axeman, but something completely unrelated. So this may not actually be in the Axeman killings. Hmm. That one's confusing to me, I feel like. So they're saying there's a there's a reason for someone else to have attacked them. He could potentially be a spy in the war, okay? Which gives other people motives to want to attack them. Other people rather than just the axemen doing these seemingly oh, okay. I killings. See. I see. Okay. Right? So this one might just be like a red herring in it. It's not really part of the axemen per se, just a whole other one all on its own. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Then there's the mafia theory. So as with Louis, our final victim, Mike Pepitone, uh, many speculate that it was actually an unrelated mafia hit. Mike's father had apparently killed another man years earlier, and this might just have been revenge. And this might explain the potential of two men in this scenario. 
There was also a large bolt that was found as a weapon involved in this attack. The bolt was a piece of a circus attraction which had been held a few blocks away only a few days earlier. So again, this one very well could be a completely unrelated killing. Mm. Well, also because I feel like this guy is giving could be giving like spy or mafia type people ideas of what weapon to go about using and stuff. Yeah. In hits. And especially because it would amplify the terror, right? Because everyone's already afraid of this this axe man. And then if you're getting attacked by something else with an axe, like. Yeah. I don't know. No, you're right. Hmm. Um, another theory is a man by the name of Joseph Munfrey. Now, there's a writer out there named Colin Wilson who's come up with a pretty interesting theory on who the Axeman could be. And this is, as far as I'm aware, the only theory on the Axeman's identity. He figures this man, by the name of Joseph Munfrey, um, could be it. Mike Pepitone, who is one that we just talked about, who was attacked by the two men, 18 right. strikes in the head. Um, his widow reportedly actually shot this supposed Joseph in December on 1920, a year later. So Mike just so happened to be the last victim in these Axemen's, in these Axeman murders. However, yeah. she goes back and kills him. So it's a little bit of this weird coincidence thing that's happening. So there is a caveat. There isn't actually any public or police or court or news records that show a man by the name of Joseph Munfrey um, to be killed. But there are individuals with that same last name having criminal records. Now, that last name was also rather common as well, which could lead us to believe that, well, maybe the, the name Joseph Munfrey was an alias at the time. So though we might have a potential name, we still don't know who that name actually belongs to, who this person behind it really could be. Right. Okay. So to explain this down a little bit further, because it's a little bit complicated and convoluted there. So Joseph had dealings with the mafia and dealing specifically with blackmailing individuals. So the theory goes that Mike Pepitone was killed, right? Mm -hmm. His widow moved to LA and remarried. From there, she would remarry, but the new husband would also soon disappear and never be seen again. So that is a whole other case. Joseph would then approach her in LA for money and jewelry, where then she would end up turning around and shooting him out the window after their altercation and apparently in this theory, officially ending the reign of the Axemen. Huh. Okay. Wow. So to me though, this taking place in LA makes it a little bit hard to believe um, because they went from New Orleans to LA. We're talking East coast to West mm -hmm. coast. So he would right. have had to follow her there to threaten her for some cash and yeah. jewels. It just doesn't quite seem so plausible to me. Um, but other than that, it may explain why so many Italian-American grocers specifically were targeted, potentially being tied up in the mafia, whether it's through relation, whether it's simply ethnic relation, maybe they owed money, or maybe it's a control of certain territory. Hmm. Who's to say? Wow. Okay. All these theories just seem like they're, they're, they make sense, but they're also ones that you feel like you have to kind of think on for a bit. Oh, definitely. Especially that one. Yeah. Um, so there is also the copycat killer. One theory is okay. that the Axeman was a copycat on his own who was inspired by crimes of a previous serial killer known as the New Orleans Slayer who was active in the city a few years prior to the Axeman murders occurring. Uh, so this serial killer was never caught, also targeted Italian-American grocers and their families and used an axe as the weapon of his choice. Now this theory does generally glance over the fact of the potential of them actually being the same individual. Well, yeah, I was just like, could they not be the same person? Yes. They have the same target and everything. Yeah, it is a topic out there, but it's not one people generally go to, which I find odd. Okay. Um, now, it could also mean that the killings were not, by, not done by the same man whatsoever. What if it's just a joining of copycat killer after copycat killer? Or what if it is just mafia's going after people who owe debts and it's mm -hmm. not even the same dude. It's just the same method used by the same group of people. Yeah. Um, the final two I want to go over first one. It's a jazz promotional thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no fucking way. Well, this one's a little bit of a stretch, but <laughs> there, there is some legitimacy to it. 
Um, some say the whole thing could have been a promotional stunt for jazz. Wow. But what, let me put it this way. What if the letter itself had nothing to do with the Axeman? What if someone just did some guerrilla marketing, submitted a letter apparently from the Axeman to get people to go out, listen to jazz and someone hoping, hoping that their band would start selling tickets. You know, that never even occurred to me that that letter could have been from somebody else, yeah. but it totally could. It be. totally could have been. Cause yeah, it could be someone who's really just good at like writing has awesome writing yeah. skills and, and came up kind of with the story. Yeah. What if it's a venue owner and he's Jeez. not getting the traffic lately and he's like, I got to think of something. I got to get people to come listen to jazz. What if I literally threaten people with the <laughs> ax man to just go listen to fucking jazz music? I mean, it kind of makes sense, but also I just feel like after that night, jazz would plummet. Uh, not necessarily, because what if people just enjoyed the time? They learned new music and realized, hey, jazz is pretty cool. I guess, but I also feel like there'd be some, you'd be scared. Like there'd be terror associated with it. Yeah, potentially. Um, and finally, last one is that the Axeman is a supernatural demon, which is pretty self-explanatory because mm -hmm. of the letter that we read. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was sort of referring to himself as that. Yep. Huh. Wow. So. I don't even know if I could fucking pick one of these. No. But I also feel like the fact that they're all associated, like how they're all like grocers and like Italian or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's up with the grocery stores? Well, I, that, that kind of goes into my theory a little bit, which I believe is kind of mafia related. Yeah. Um, I, I think it kind of explained it mostly. I'll go a little bit more in depth in Patreon, but it's, it's primarily... Um, mafia, I think these grocers somehow, whether, um, meaning to or not, are somehow tied up in the mafia and it's just, maybe they're not paying their extra high rent or something like that, or dues need to be paid. And it's just, okay, well, if you don't pay up, we're going to come take you and your family. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of it. Hmm. Um, and yeah, then there's a bunch of these other theories. In there. I mean, all of them could be right at this point. We have no, nothing to say one or the other. Yeah. So what we do know that though is officially labeled Axeman. He has six murders and another six injuries. So he's attacked a total of 12 people. Wow. That's a, that's a big list. Yes. Well, which many people think the numbers could actually be much more. It's just not reported. Mm -hmm. So. Or what, yeah. Or didn't have it as connected to this or something. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh. That is the story of hmm. the Axeman. I've never Orleans. heard of that story. Well, you've heard of the Axeman. <laughs> I've heard of the Axeman, yes, but yes. I haven't heard, I didn't know the story. Well, it was an interesting one to dive into because I haven't heard it either. Um, the theories, I love ones where you really got different theories. Mm -hmm. And some of the theories are very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those ones I would have to kind of like have on a piece of paper and like dissect them and then decide which one logically made most sense in my brain. Okay. So almost like if you had like a cork board with pieces of paper and tacks <laughs> yeah, like, and like a string, you could I'd, go and draw back and forth. I'd and have to spend some time on that one <laughs> to figure out what I thought it actually was. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because uh, those were, some of those seemed far-fetched to me, but just like hearing them all, like one off like that, they did more so. Yeah. Touche. Anyways, hopefully you enjoyed it. That one's been on our, on my list at least for a while. I don't know if you've seen it on the list, but it, mm -hmm. it's been in that book. Yep. And so finally got to, got around to doing it. It was an interesting one, a little bit different, but uh, definitely terrifying. I don't know if I want to have an axe around our house very much, or maybe we should have an axe. It's just under our pillows. Yeah. So if we look up, see someone wielding an axe, we can just grab our own axe and fight back and then it'll be mortal combat. Jeez. Yeah, I know, because I was just going to be like, lock your doors, we'll be safe. But good gosh. Nope. He even got through the locked doors, which after like the the hype of like the main people starting to panic and everything, people were making sure their doors and shit were locked, but he was still getting in. They're probably like board, boarding them up. and Probably. I mean, going, I would probably go next level too if your whole city was just kind of on attack really or yeah. alert or yeah. Huh, well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, if you guys do want to check out the rest of the conversation over on Patreon, I'm going to tell you right now, you didn't miss anything. You don't need to go to Patreon. We're just going to kind of go a little more in depth into our, our conversation, dissect it, and maybe our opinions a little bit more. Um, but if you want to do check it out, it's going to be in the show notes, description of this podcast. You can check out Patreon. You can check out our social media like Instagram, Facebook. We got YouTube. We got our website. You name it. Um, it's all linked down below. So you can feel free to check it out. But if not, 
you stayed here and we appreciate that just as much. So thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. And until next Tuesday. Until next Tuesday, stay wicked. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.